Hello, and welcome to the Salem on the Go podcast, a community of Christ followers that seeks the well-being of all people, a place where you can connect, commit, and continue to grow in your faith. In this new teaching series called I Deserve It, a title package originally published by Life Church, we're going to look at the lives of four individuals who clearly deserve one thing, but the grace of God gives them another. So let's turn now to the third part of this series, I Deserve Rejection but receive acceptance. Uh, But it is great to have you here again for the third part of this series, I Deserve It. Uh, And today we're going to be talking about that big buzzword, rejection, um, and uh, how we can move from rejection to acceptance. We'll look at another individual out of Scripture who deserved something very specific, but got something different than what they deserved. Uh, and that takes place in Matthew chapter 8. So if you got your Bible, you want to turn to Matthew chapter 8, you could do that. But, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk us through this idea of rejection today because I believe rejection is one of those things that we all experience at some point in our life. We all, we all go through that. We all experience it. And, and really, in fact, we probably start with the experience of rejection at a very, very early age, right? If you're on a dodgeball field, say, for example. I don't know why dodgeball would come to my mind, but that's a place where rejection can come up for us, right? It comes up even before you play the game, which for some of you, this is the reason that I came out this past Wednesday at the end of the selection process, because nobody wants to go through the selection process and be the last one chosen for a team. Now, I was the last one chosen for the team, but I did that to myself. I came out late, right? That's just how it ended. I, I, you couldn't have chosen me earlier. I know you would have wanted to choose me first, uh, given my my tight, you know, athletic physique and all. You'd, you'd want that. But this is where rejection starts. It can start in that place. It continues on in all kinds of other areas. It might be in the cafeteria, right? Anybody ever face rejection in the cafeteria, want to sit at one table? You didn't get that invitation to that table, so you ended up at this other table with your head hung low. Like, we, we start there. It could go through those check yes or no letters, Right? You slip one of those check no or le- yes or no letters across. You experience the rejection on the other side of that. And it doesn't really end just because we get out of childhood. As adults, right? as young adults, as teenagers, we carry rejection with us and we experience it in a variety of ways. The very first time you maybe applied for a job and you didn't get that job. You thought you were the perfect candidate. You thought you had all the skills and the background and everything that you needed. But you got that big fat, no, we're going to keep searching, right? And rejection sinks into your heart and your mind, and you try to deal with it and figure out what's going on. Or, or maybe you thought you were the perfect dating candidate, right? And you just felt the rejection on the other side of that, no, right? In fact, sometimes it's the reason that it, rejection or the fear of rejection is the thing that keeps us from pursuing something new because we're afraid of the rejection that might come out of it because rejection is just sort of flat out painful for us. It's hard to deal with as human beings. It's difficult to ingest. And it's another one of those areas that's just so painful in our lives that we actually build defense mechanisms around ourselves. Even my use of humor this morning to talk about kickball is is a defense mechanism that I've dealt with or sort of developed in my life in order to protect myself from the fear of rejection. And we have a variety of defense mechanisms that we create in our lives to push that off, to push the pain off in our life. But I've been talking to us and leading us through this series for a couple different reasons, and I've mentioned them to you each week. And the first one is I want to help us to honestly assess what we deserve. 
Honesty being the key phrase there, right? So at some point in time, we have to get honest with ourselves about our fear, about where we are, about what we're facing in life. And, and once we can get honest and honestly assess what it is we do deserve in life, then we can move a little bit further down the line and we can start to overcome maybe the entitlement that we feel in our life. We get entitlement about what we do deserve. And when we, when we overcome that entitlement, we can encounter what Christ describes as true freedom for us. Now, the past two weeks, we've spent a lot of time on both of those. Last week, we talked a lot about honesty and how to be honest with yourself and what you actually deserve. The first week, we talked a little bit more about freedom and what freedom looks like in Christ. This week's a little bit harder because unlike the first two weeks where I talked about how we deserve death and condemnation, there's a part of you and me that sort of accept that. We know internally, I said last week, you already condemn yourself before anybody else does. Right Before the officer turns the blue lights on behind me, I've already condemned myself. I know that I was speeding. And so when the, the blue light is triggered, it just reminds me of what I already know internally. So with condemnation and death, there's a part of us that already knows this to be true. But none of us, none of us start out the day rejecting ourselves. Rejection is something that comes outside into us. Now, eventually, if we're rejected long enough as members of society, we might start to believe that. We might start to put that on ourselves, but rejection is not something that just internally rises up and we understand that we should be rejected. Rejection is always something that happens from society. Society rejects me, and sometimes I believe them, sometimes I don't, but either way, it's them doing this to me. So the cure force for rejection the way we can move away from that as a society is not just an internal shift, right? You can't just think happy thoughts and be in a different plane. In order to heal from the pain of rejection, society has to start healing. We have to work to heal society around us and to shift the way that society works. And, and that's exactly what we see happening in the story that we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 8. And the story that we're going to look at, there is a man that society has rejected his, most of his life. We don't know exactly when this man, it's a leprous man, we don't know when he developed leprosy in his life, but for this extended period of time, society has rejected him. And even prior to this, he would have rejected others who had leprosy. So he knows just the societal clues in his life that we should reject the lepers. And so whenever he Attract, or whenever he received leprosy, when he, when he became leprous, he also knew he should be rejected. And this story, and I'll just start right in verse 1, because it's really important how Matthew sets this up for us. Right in verse 1, Matthew sets up the story by telling us what happened just prior to this. Look at it with me, and we'll put it on the screen if you, you don't have your Bibles here. But when Jesus came down from the, what? Say that with me. Mountainside. Now that's important. Matthew wanted to tell you that he came down from the mountainside, and you probably already know, even if you're not quite sure what happened before, what Jesus was doing on the mountain. We have this grand sermon that Jesus taught. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Right, yeah, that's it. It started in Matthew chapter 5. But for three chapters prior to this, Jesus has been delivering sort of the greatest sermon of his life. He's unpacked all kinds of principles. He's basically started to turn the world upside down through the teachings that he's unpacking in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. And so what, what Matthew is telling us here, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, he's wanting you and I to remember that Jesus just finished teaching all these principles on the kingdom. 
He had taught with incredible authority like no one who, who had ever spoke before. He delivered this great sermon. And in this sermon, he talked about a new type of world. Think about this for just a minute. If we go back to Matthew chapter 5 and just sort of let the Beatitudes play through our head. He said, who are, poor, who are blessed? Blessed are the poor and the meek. And what else? Those who are righteous. He, he started saying that those who would be typically rejects in society are the blessed ones. The poor are blessed and they're welcomed into his kingdom. Those who mourn, who have lost are actually accepted back and comforted in the context of the kingdom. The meek, the righteous, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, all of these are children of God and should be welcomed into the kingdom. So all of these that at some level of society are rejected or pushed aside, Jesus has started to sweep them back in. He's granted acceptance to these groups of people who society would have said, no, these are not the ones who we should honor. These are not the ones who we should elevate. These are the ones that we should push aside. Those who are meek, that's not the, the virtue that we should follow after. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 that's a central virtue to the kingdom. Those who are grieving and have lost, no, we want to pull them back in to be a part of the kingdom. We don't want to push them aside, right? Sometimes it's hard to be around those who are grieving because their, their, their spirits are so depressed. And our natural tendency as human beings is to push them aside. Be like, I don't want to have anything to do. I can't, I can't deal with that one more day. Right? And Jesus says, no, you need to pull them in. They're a part of the kingdom. They're a part to be comforted. And so this new kingdom has an ethic that is completely radical. And it turns the world on its head. It pushes every boundary. It breaks the division that's established. Right? He, he tears all of those things down as he goes through this. When he talks about love of enemy. Right? He pushes the boundary. He says, you've heard it said to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. But I say, turn the other cheek. Right? Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. You've, sa- you've heard it said you know, that, that you should not commit adultery. But I say, even the one who lusts in their heart has already committed adultery. Now, what is he doing there? He's, he's trying to pull these members of society. He's actually trying to pull the adulterer back in. Because he's saying there's no division. Everyone has had lust in their heart. He's saying, you're going to blame and you're going to say that the adulterer should be cast aside. He goes, but every one of you has lusted in your heart already and you're on the same playing field. So what Jesus is doing is pulling people back into the kingdom that society has rejected. And that's just chapter, one, or chapter 5. Right? He keeps going through chapter 6 and chapter 7. And by the time we get to chapter 8, here's what's interesting about this. Everyone around him is like, this sounds amazing. It sounds really good. But can you do it? Is that actually going to happen? Like, you know, the preacher preaches a sermon and you walk out the door and you're like, I might change something. I might not, right? And this is the same sort of feel. Jesus has preached an incredible sermon, but at the end of it, we have to ask the question, are you going to put your money where your mouth is? Right? You've talked the talk, but are you going to walk the walk? And so when Matthew chapter 8 rolls around, Jesus is coming off the mountain, the impassioned crowd is right behind him, walking with him every step of the way, and they're ready to experience this brand new type of world that Jesus is talking about. And no more had they come off the mountain than look at verse 2. It says, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him. Now this is the ultimate test of acceptance. If you notice, and you can go back and read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, Jesus doesn't mention the lepers in that context at all. 
He didn't talk about them in any, in any capacity. But by the time he comes off the mountain, there's a leper who is right in front of him. And everyone in the crowd, nobody has thought about leprosy that day. No one said we need to accept the lepers into the kingdom. We've said we want to accept the poor and the meek and the peacemakers and all those who are mourning and all those. But we haven't talked about the lepers. And the leper comes and kneels right before him. And in the midst of this, as the leper comes down, the leper is the center of rejection. Everyone in that crowd, has rejected the leper. And everyone has rejected the leper under the full weight of the law. They thought it was the righteous thing to do. Their rejection was actually sanctioned by the law that they lived their life around. Numbers chapter 5 verse 2 says it this way. It says, command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp, what? Every leper. And it goes on and it says two other groups, everyone who has a discharge, so everyone who's bleeding or has an open wound of some sort, and everyone who can, becomes defiled by a corpse. But what you need to know about this, there's three groups that are mentioned here, the leper, the one who has a discharge, and the one who's defiled by a corpse. Two out of the three of those, they're, they're exiled from the camp for a short season, but after a season of purification, they can come back in. But guess who can't? A leper. The leper is perpetually living under the weight of rejection in this society. And since, because there's no cure for, leper, for leprosy in this day and age, they were con constantly rejected. And that's why this moment, after Jesus proclaims a kingdom that will accept and bring everyone in, it's important that the lepers stand before him because we're not dealing with pockets of rejected society anymore. We're dealing with members of society that society itself has universally said we reject. We push aside. We don't want you. We don't want you to be in our midst. We don't want you to be in our community. We don't want you to be in our camp. We don't want you at all. And when this rejected person comes, we would declare, they would declare at that point, they deserved rejection. And this is, this is what the society that surrounded Jesus was ultimately saying to the leper. You deserve rejection. And on the other side of that, we don't want you to be a part of us. We don't want you to be a part of the world that, that, that we're creating. We don't want you to be in this world so that you can contribute. We don't want your presence with us. We don't want you. In fact, as we look at this a little bit further, Eugene Peterson, and we'll, we'll unpack this verse in a little while, Eugene Peterson actually uses the word want. Do you want to do something, Jesus? And the reason that this is so important is because rejection is always intricately connected with our desires and what we want in the world. With rejection and acceptance, there's an element of desire that we have to play around with and we have to understand that if we choose to accept or we choose to reject, it all rests in what you and I want in our world. It all rests with this element of desire. And I don't really need to spell this out for you. Most of us in this room have experienced the pain of rejection. And when the pain of rejection comes, the thing that bothers us about it is we would say to ourselves, I don't think they want me. I don't think they want me in their life anymore. I don't think they want me in their group anymore. I don't think they want me to be in that space or that space. And the pain of rejection is often connected with what we want or don't want in our life. And that's what makes this leper's request so important. Look at what the leper says. He comes and he bows down in front of him and he says, Lord, if you are able to, you can, maybe, no, no, he didn't say that. Did he say that? Are you looking at your Bible? Did he say that? Now, it would have made sense if he said that, right? It would have been sense if he would have said, Lord, if you can do this, if you have the capacity to heal me, heal me, 
But he, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Lord, if you're able to. He actually comes in front of him and he says, Lord, if you are, what does it say? Willing. Eugene Peterson, this is where he spells it out. Instead of saying, Lord, if you're willing, he says, Master, if you want to, you can heal my body. And the verb that's used here is a little bit tricky. It's, it's the verb thelo. And thelo, at its core, actually has to do with what we wish or what we want or what we desire. In its primary form, the, the leper comes before Jesus and he says, Jesus, if you wish to. But if you really unpack that, it's, Jesus, if you want to do this, if you want this deep inside your heart, if you desire for me to be healed, you can heal my body. Not if you are able to. I know you're able to. I know you can control that. I know you can do that. But I want to know, do you want me? Because the rest of society around me, my entire life, has told me you don't want me. The rest of the world that I live in says that you don't want to do this that you don't want to include me, that you don't want to have me as a part of it. But master, if you want me, you can heal me. The leper wants to know if he's wanted. In other words, am I going to be accepted in the new kingdom, in the society that you're setting up that no one else has accepted, right? No one else in this society has accepted him in any of these ways. Everyone else rejects me. But the leper comes to Jesus and he says, what do you say, Jesus? What about you? What about the kingdom that you're establishing? And before Jesus would ever say a thing, this is important, he did a thing. Jesus doesn't speak first, he acts first. He doesn't just continue to teach and pontificate in the same way that he did in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. Jesus knows that now is the time for action. And so in verse 3, it says, Jesus then reached out his hand and touched the man. In front of everyone who's there, in front of everyone who's gathered, he didn't say a thing. He didn't need to say anything. He had already said all kinds of things. Now what he needed to do was act. And so he moves the man from rejection to acceptance with action. And he does the same for you and me. In your life and in my life, Christ's actions are the thing that moves us from rejection to acceptance. His words are powerful. His words are profound. His teachings are mesmerizing and they're memorable. His lessons, they're deep, they're divine, they're all of those things. But his, his actions that are transformational in our life. His actions are the things that actually brought dead people back to life. It's his actions in the world that have healed brokenhearted, that have broke the chains of addiction in people's lives. It's his actions that have ushered in a brand new kingdom with brand new rules for you and I to live by. And his actions are the things that remove us or move us from a place of rejection in our lives and offer us a place of acceptance in his new kingdom. It's his actions. And so Jesus, before he will say anything to the leper, reaches out and touches the man. He touches this leprous man, and then he said to him, and then he said to us, I am willing. Or to use the same word that the leper used, I want to do this. Yes, I want you to be a part of the kingdom. Yes, I want you to be a part of this. He said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. He said to the man, and he says to you and I in our deepest pit of rejection, I do want you. I do want to do this. I want you to be a part of this kingdom. I want you to be included in this world. I want you to come in and to be part of what's going on. For whatever reason, you might have thought in your life that you deserve the rejection that you face. You might have accepted it because society has placed it upon you. And it's just become an active part of your life to say, I'm going to be rejected. I'll just accept that part of my life. But God wants you. 
And he wants you to be a part of his kingdom. And he wants to remove that rejection that society has placed upon us. And so he says to the leper, and he says to you and me, I am willing, and I want to do this. So be clean. And the leper didn't know exactly what would happen with the rest of the crowd that day, but it didn't matter to him. He didn't care what would happen with the rest of the crowd because he knew that he needed to find acceptance with Christ. And he said, even if people reject it, if, even if I'm rejected by people, I know that I'm accepted by God. I know that I'm accepted by God in that moment. And in that moment, this new vision of the kingdom that Jesus had taught about became a reality. And it became real for the leper. And this is where the new kingdom starts with you and with me. It starts at the moment that you and I realize that we are accepted by God even if we are rejects elsewhere. We are accepted by God even if other members of society would cast us off. It starts there, but it doesn't stop there. It starts in this place where you can start to recognize what God wants to do in your life, but it doesn't stop with that recognition and with that admission there in the, in the first part. In the very moment that Jesus and the leper came together, things were different, right? The leper had received divine acceptance. There's no doubt about it. He had received his healing. He was made clean. And by the gracious action of Jesus, I believe that you and I can receive that same type of acceptance. But the question that remains is, what about everybody else? I told you at the beginning of this that rejection is something that is placed on us by society. And if it's going to be changed, it's not just an internal transformation that needs to take place. It's something that all of us need to look outside of ourselves and start to change. A major part of our rejection is not how Jesus feels about us, but it's how the rest of the world feels about us. And so how does that change? How does that get transformed? And this is where Jesus turns back to the leper one more time. He says, I'm willing, now be clean. But then he gives him one final task. In verse 4 he says this, Then Jesus said to him, See that you do not tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Remember that passage that I read you earlier from Numbers? The one that said all these people were rejected. A leper is rejected. The person who's bleeding is rejected. The person who's touched a dead body. Yeah. It was that one that said that the lepers needed to be cast out and all these different ones. But there's a later section of the law that says there is a way in which people can be accepted back into the camp. And the way that you can be accepted back into the community, back into society, the way that you can experience acceptance in this world and in this environment is by offering yourself in front of the priests. By going to the priests, offering the, the offering that would be required of that, showing that you are healed, and they would say to the rest of society, this person is accepted. Right? So Jesus doesn't circumvent society in this way. Jesus has this unique way of working in society to bring social transformation for the leper. He has this unique way of saying, I'm not going to leave it to where you're just accepted by God. I want to make sure you're accepted by everyone else. And I'm going to work in whatever way I can with the institutions that are established, with the organizations that are established, with the guidelines that are established. And I'm going to figure out a way to change this situation socially. And what Jesus did for the leper, Jesus continues to encourage us to do. Right? What Jesus not just encourages us, he invites us to be a part of this. Part of the work that, that God is doing in the world through you and with you, yes, it has to do with restoring that vertical relationship. There's no doubt about it. He wants to restore our relationship with God the Father, but he also wants to restore all those horizontal relationships. 
all those places where society is collectively broken, systemically falling apart. He wants to correct all of those things. And he invites us as the people of God into a place where we can work with him to do that. It's not just about the restoration of us with the Father, even though that's the primary and important one. But it is about the restoration of all things, the overturning of everything that has been broken. And we work as people called by the Spirit in the world to make sure that 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 change is happening. And this is the sort of shift that needs to take place in all subsections of our society. We need to see this sort of shift happening in a variety of places. It needs to be done around our race relationships. It needs to be done in conversations around sexism and ageism. And one of the key areas that I see it happening over and over and over again in society, and I see it in faces of people that I work with, is in the area of mental health. Right? This is an area where we have, as a society, been so quick to ostracize and reject people because we don't understand. And as the church, as the people of God, it's time that we figure out a way not only to allow those who struggle in this area to receive the acceptance of God their Father, but to work as a society to see that the rest of the world offers that acceptance as well. To see how we can change these things. And there's, there's a variety of ways. I've just mentioned a few of these, and that's not the comprehensive list. But for you and I, as people who have been redeemed and accepted as members of the kingdom, our work and our invitation today is to figure out how in our corner of the world, with the systems that lie in front of us, the processes that we have at our disposal, the organizations that we work with and where we find ourselves day in and day out, how can we leverage those to bring others into that space of acceptance? Not just so that they receive that horizontal acceptance, but so that they start to experience the power and the liberty of that vertical acceptance with others around. As we close today, praise team's gonna sing one song. The song is called Redeemed. I think it's a powerful, powerful image to consider how we, how you and I have been redeemed, but how in our redemption we are called see that the rest of the world around us experiences that redemption as well. You're called to be agents that will spread that redemption to others. And each of you sitting in this room have been called by God into a unique space in this world. You've been surrounded by a unique group of people in this world. And God is asking you to be that agent of redemption there in that space, working in that environment, surrounded by those people, how can you bring the redemption of God there so that others might find this acceptance? Would you stand with me this morning? God, we thank you for the redeeming love of Christ that we have experienced. So many of us in this room have experienced the way in which you accept us and you invite us into your kingdom, and we've been overwhelmed with that. And I recognize that in this room, there may still be some who have not received that divine acceptance, have not received the acceptance that comes in that vertical relationship with God our Father. And right now, Spirit of God, I just ask that if there are, there, if there are those who are in this room who have not, I ask that you would speak to them, that you would start to work in their hearts, and that you would start to once again communicate how much you love and adore each of your children, each of your sons and daughters.
But for those of us who have experienced that transformation, for those of us who experience that acceptance, today, God, we ask that you would open our eyes to see how we can continue our work with you to bring redemption to the rest of the world. That you can work in our hearts, even through this closing song, to reveal the names, the faces, and the possibilities that are in front of us. Possibilities that have been given to us by your Spirit, through your Son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.